I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast a combined eye over goings-on at Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie, the Rodrigo shot that hit the angle of post of bar of the podcast. Oh, come on, you've got to be kidding. And I'm joined by Tom Alderson, the Pat Bamford header onto the post of the podcast. You can't be serious. Again. And finally, the Pepe headbutt of the podcast. What an embarrassing moment for everyone involved. It's only Darren Driver. Darren, how are you? I'm all right, thanks. Yeah, um, I'm tr- just trying to desperately remember the game because I knew I wasn't going to get to rewatch it today. So I tried to watch with my uh, analytical and focused head on and it completely ruined the experience for me. But I think I got a good handle on what was going on. So we'll see as we go go throughout. But yeah, I'm good. Cheers. So it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because I think I find Arsenal just such a joyless team at the best of times. So I, yes. I don't know whether or not I didn't enjoy the game quite so much this weekend because of that or because... The, of the fact that for 40 minutes we were just sort of chasing um, a goal against 10 men. But uh, we'll go on to talk about that. Tom Alderson, how are you? Um, I'm good, thank you. I, I watched the game with two of my mates who were Arsenal fans and I had a bit of an odd experience <laughs> at the end that um, they were very happy with a point at Ellen Road and I was disappointed to not get free against Arsenal. I was like, what? How, with, how, what is happening? How far have we actually come, really? Because, <laughs> um, like, yeah, I thought we should we definitely deserved it in the end. Yeah, which I guess is is interesting, even in the term, uh, in terms of the fact that if you look at the year, the way the year started off, our first game in twenty twenty, um, the hell year that is twenty twenty, was was that one 0 loss against uh, Arsenal, and uh, you know I, I don't think any of us thought that give it another nine months, ten months, eleven months. Looking, looking at the calendar, I have no concept of time anymore. But uh, give it, give it another year, and we would be coming out and being probably the better team the whole way through, and and disappointed with the result that we we didn't get the win. So yeah, it's it's um it's certainly a sign of a, a step in the right direction for us. Um, we've already talked about how it felt. Um, a mixture of between disappointed that we didn't do better and um, uh, maybe that it wasn't the most excited game, exciting game of all time. But Darren, what was your what was your take on on the game overall? Yeah, I mean overall, I felt that I felt that we we played pretty well. I thought we I thought we were 
reasonably solid. I think I think even though it's not the most exciting Arsenal team of all time, I think they have got quality in dangerous areas, and I think that more or less we managed to you know kind of hold them off throughout the game, apart from a couple of areas where they're a bit dangerous down the sides, and and the the notable chance for. Um, for, for Saka, which which Melier saved at the end, and and I thought other than that, we we really took the game to them. We really dominated. Um, I thought we made enough chances, you know, to comfortably win the game, and and very much it felt like we were watching a championship game to me for for much of it, in in the sense that that Arsenal came, came clearly came with a plan to soak up pressure and hit us on the break, and that became even more the case once they went down to ten, and. Um, yeah, it, it just kind of became one of those frustrating nights. I think we could still be playing now and we wouldn't have scored. I think we would have probably had another 10 or 11 times that we hit the post or the bar but or, or a great save by Leno. But overall, it was I, th- I thought it was a, a decent game, decent performances from, from most of the players and, and, and we deserved to win it. Yeah, it's an interesting game really because we spent a lot of time in the prep for this uh, game talking about how Arsenal have been playing 3-4-3. It's re- really caused us a lot of problems. Uh, if we get pressed quite um, stringently in the wide areas, then we end up looking as though we, we can be caused problems. And, um, you know, that was basically was what happened against both Leicester and Crystal Palace, those games where we uh, ended up running out as, as losers. And Coming into this, I was a little bit nervous that this might happen. I mean, Arsenal aren't exactly a high-pressing in wide areas kind of team. They weren't going to come and sit back and, and just dig in. Um, they did do that, obviously, for 40 minutes after the, the red card happened. And interestingly, they actually looked more dangerous, I thought, in those in those um, stretches of the game. But I felt that they put Alien under quite a lot of pressure in the first half, and that led to us giving a lot of possession away down that side. So I think to an extent they did they did press us in wide areas, but not with as much kind of dedication to it as both Leicester and Palace did. Yeah, so they they went with a four two three one formation, and I think the reason they did that was they were going to have. Aubameyang sort of pressing between the two centre-backs and then the two wide players pushing onto the um, full-backs and then have, um, I guess it was Joe Willock who played as a 10, then put uh, pressing um, or pressuring um, Phillips in the middle. And so I think that they they sort of wanted to go roughly the way that Leeds would go in, in their forward press. Um, but I felt like outside of that, yeah, they, they, they caused us, I, I guess, a little bit of a problem with Ailing. But I thought outside of that, it's not it's not so much... When I say we're pressed in wide areas, it's more when we're going forward, I think, when we, we try and build up in those sort of wide, um, advanced areas. If you can get your pressure in and, and a lot of players around the ball, um, we've talked a lot about the structure of the 3-4-3, which gives you these sort of rhombus shapes in, in wide areas. If you can sit deep and then you can just sort of smother the ball a bit, that, that's really what, what causes problems. And I think once once they sh- once they shifted after the red card back to a more of a three four three type structure, obviously with a player less, they just sort of they did the three four three without the three centre backs. They just sort of reduced it to two and had their wing backs a little bit deeper. They actually defended quite well and caused us quite a few problems on the break. So um, I I, thought, I found it interesting from that perspective that. You know, they came out, looked pretty... They, they, I mean, they weren't... We didn't batter them, but they looked a bit ragged in the first half. Uh, and then, then they came came through in the second half and looked a little bit more assured. I, I'm, I'm just a little bit worried that teams are going to realise that that's the way that you play against us and they'll implement that and they'll sit deep and they'll press us in wide advanced areas and we'll lose a lot of our upside. But uh, there we go. I think you're right. I think Arsenal in the second... Once, once they went down to 10, they did do that. But I also noticed that I thought we got the eights involved in the wide areas m- much more effectively than we had against either Palace or Leicester. And that, that gave 
you know the fullback and the wing is a bit more of an outball and a bit more of a bit more of a shape because I, I thought you know pretty much against against Palace particularly once the ball went out to Harrison um, and was it Alioski played left back in that game at the Palace game anyway whoever was playing left back it was that that basically it was those two players really isolated and kind of boxed in whereas I, f- I felt that we were able to get um get the eights involved and 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 that gave a bit more of an option to move the ball centrally so I, th- I thought that we actually prepped must have prepped for that quite well because I could see that, that that was quite effective in the way that we did that I guess one of the interesting things to go from there is to talk about Dallas as an eight um what did you make of that Tom did you did you think that it worked in in the long run no, I don't ever think that Dallas A is a good option. I, I wonder if um, Bielsa thought we were going to set up, uh, well, they were going to set up in a three-four-three um, because every single app that I had on my phone had us playing a three-three-three-one-three. Uh, with I think with Dallas at right back and the team was to come out, and then I wonder if that was just a late shift to move Dallas into centre mid uh, to counter what they were doing. Um, I was surprised that they set up like that cause like like um, you've said in the past it will um we do struggle against um teams setting up like that um but then having D- Dallas at center mid probably I, I don't know what's worse than another team playing 343 or having Dallas playing center midfield we put we don't look strong either way I think Dallas as an eight, particularly in possession, is is quite ponderous, and and there were there were notable times last night when he really slowed our attacking intent down. Um, I think I suppose the point really of playing Dallas instead of Rodrigo from the start was that that with Dallas on the pitch, you do have that mu- much more flexibility to go from the four one four one into the three 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 one three a bit more seamlessly, and and that the personnel works a bit better. So I can kind of see the rationale from that point of view. Um, it it never pleases me when when Dallas plays as an eight, and I'm much prefer it when Rodrigo's on the pitch because I think once he's there we look much more dangerous but but I can I can kind of see a rationale for it yeah I think as well we I don't know if we mentioned this in the in the preview stuff um, but the way that Arsenal have been playing is is in this 3-4-3 where Lacazette's almost playing as a false nine so he drops a little bit deeper and presses onto the central midfielder and so I think Bielsa was almost treating that as a 3-5-2 formation and that was why he then wanted to come out with this 3-3-1-3 and then they tweaked it round at the end um, and I suppose from there you just don't really want to be making a tactical substitution personnel wise to just bring Rodrigo in straight away and as we know today Rodrigo had to play in the 23s game so actually it was a tactical decision to give Rodrigo a bit of a rest before the really important under 23s game today against West Brom <laughs> um, one more question before we start jumping into like the, the nuts and bolts of it um, Miss G said, uh, any comparison pre and post red card would be interesting. We struggle to break teams down and it seems uh, to be when we can't use fluid team pace to attack them with direct pressing. Um, the slow chess game doesn't suit our well-drilled style that much. So let's talk a little bit about that shift from from um, pre to post red card. As I mentioned, Arsenal then just sort of sat a little bit deeper and just looked to expand quickly. And um, there was a few... Just watch it. I've watched the game back a couple of times now, and I genuinely think they were more dangerous in in the uh, forty minutes after the red card than they were before that. Um, so yeah, we'll go with you, Darren. How? What, what, what's your assessment of the difference that the red card made on the game? I think that it just kind of made them commit to it commit to a style really which I don't really feel like they did in, a, in in the first half particularly I think I think they then had to commit to sitting deep and trying to hit us on the break whereas I think they were a bit kind of tentative uh, all round in the, in the first half so I think it, it did make them much more defensively resolute because they, kn- they knew they had to get good numbers behind the ball but also they, they I thought they used their out balls really quite well at times in the second half and caused us caused us some massive problems I think in terms of you know 
us struggling to break break teams down. Obviously, I think that that when when teams sit, uh, you know, quite well drilled teams sit sit men behind the ball and kill all the space. Any team in the world struggles to break that down. Having said that, I thought we made we made plenty of chances to win the game last night. We, we might not have made as many big chances as we would, would have wanted to see, um, but I, I, I thought we, we made more than enough chances to come away with, with the three points, and I didn't really see it as a failure in in uh, in breaking them down so much as a failure in, in, in taking those opportunities when they came up, and, and it's you know partly down to luck and partly down to good goalkeeping, I think. Yeah, I think it's um, there's a few things to say there. One is, as you've said, you know, it's, we we did create decent chances, and that's all you can do in those situations. Yes, we we maybe probably had too many chances from outside the box, and I guess when you've got a player like Rodrigo, then you can afford to do that. Um, Stuart Dallas, <laughs> um, yeah, maybe not, but he did have a few pot shots during the game, which is which is nice. As I say, look at find someone who looks at you the way that Dallas looks at a 35 yard chance. We've talked on the podcast before about when, when players are outside the box, just the act of taking a shot can sometimes draw defenders out and create that bit of uncertainty in the mind. So I don't, I don't mind that. And I perhaps think that maybe, maybe Dallas does it a bit too much <laughs> and that maybe I wish Click would do it more. But, but I think I don't mind it as a, as a strategy ultimately. Yeah, I'm just not convinced that other teams will see Dallas shooting and push out. <laughs> but there we are. Um, the, the, the other thing to say is that, you know, look, we've seen Manchester City struggle to break down defences for the last year, if not more. Um, and that certainly was the tale of their weekend, um, unable to break down a, a compact defence. So you, I think you have to view it as a... Uh, a compliment, a massive compliment that a, t- that a team has decided that the best chance they have of beating you is defending against you and trying to catch you on the break. That's um, that's simply a mark of how dangerous the team thinks that you are. So, um, yes, it's not particularly um, enjoyable to watch. I think the game got quite... It's, it was quite a fun first half and it became quite stayed in the second half, I thought. But... Um, at the same time, the majority of the time, you're going to probably come off with a with a, a win or a draw rather than you are going to come off with a loss. So I, I guess that's the way to, to look at it. Let's jump into the um, questions about the first half. So um, first question from Jonathan Brook. We control the midfield much better today, even pre-Pepe sending off. Was that purely down to KP being back? I thought Click had a great game too. Um, Tom, we'll start with you. What's your take on KP being back? I don't think Phillips being back... Um... Is probably the reason for that because I think I would have trusted Stroke in that game uh, to do attacking in midfield and attacking wise to do the same things that uh, Phillips did. Um, Click definitely was probably man of the match there today, and that's probably part of the reason. But I think both teams kind of gave up on the middle of the pitch almost, like we're both building up down the sides. Um, I don't know if that's something that Arsenal do regularly or they did it just because they're missing a couple of players in that position, but. Um, I had a look. I think it was like stat zone. You look at the pass um, maps, also, and like the middle of the pitch for both teams is just pretty much empty compared to the rest. So I think the reason we controlled the midfield more is just because we we uh, they weren't moving through there as much. Yeah, it's one of the things. I, again, I, I noticed in terms of the structure is that uh, I think the decision to go four two three one by them was to match us in midfield, which I thought was interesting because uh, we've talked a lot about how Leeds like to vacate the central areas and, and build up down the wide areas. It's all about getting players into more dangerous positions than the central uh, midfield position. And then the question is, can you can you stop the team if they the opposition if they break down the central areas? But they had a, a double pivot sort of matching up to our 
our eights and then they had a, a number 10 matching up to Calvin in midfield and it, it felt to me like Arsenal were just wasting players in the middle because as, as we've said Leeds just don't really use the middle of the field um, other than as a, as a way of facilitating build up down the wide area so to me, I felt as though Arsenal just looked a bit too conservative. They were worrying, t- and I, I don't really understand why, because I think if anyone watches our game, which no doubt Mikel Arteta will have done, he would have seen that. So I was a little bit confused uh, about that. Um, Darren, did you want to talk at all about KP? One of the things about KP that I think people might might notice is that, is that when he when when he's defending, he he looks busier than Stroke does. So he's, he's there. He's trying to put his foot in. He's trying to disrupt. He's trying to kind of make his himself physically present and felt. Whereas I think Stroke plays with with a much more kind of classical defender. Uh, like much more classical defender. So he's trying to shepherd people into areas that are not as dangerous. He's trying to push them into areas where we've got numerical. Uh, superiority um, so I think that, that sometimes people can see that and, and there may be in times when I thought that last night and thinking oh yeah we, we look like we're bossing the midfield when actually what's happening is just two different styles of defending yeah, I also think it's important to look at like the chances that actually end up getting created. And I, I did post something on the Twitter account before just showing the shot maps from the two games. Um, and I think that's just quite instructive because it shows you that like regardless of how you feel, what the the coverage of the midfield area is like, um, in terms of the shot maps, it wasn't actually that different between a, a 4-1 loss and a, and a nil-nil draw. I think a lot of this comes down to the fact that we defend man for man. Um, and I think a lot of us are so used to watching zonal marking off the ball um and and players um just keeping keeping spaces defended rather than players that i think we we still just have a little bit of that in our in our minds when we think when we're assessing how um solid the the midfield is so yeah i i mean i agree with both of you i think that we were fine we were good in midfield yesterday um largely because as as tom says we 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 didn't we we don't need to do that much in midfield it's very much a case of yes making sure you block opposition teams if they're if they're breaking on you and then get the ball out to your wide players and and, and go from there just thinking about in terms of on the ball because I'd be interested to see whether, whether um Phillips had more touches or, or something than than the than the palace game because my, my perception is that he may have done and I, I think I think there may be something in there about the you know the kind of the, the defense being more familiar with the types of movements that Phillips makes to make himself available for the ball and just kind of been more used to that um whereas I think with, with stroke this there is something where that they may not use him as regularly as they use Phillips um and and that's probably nothing really to so much to do with him because I think Stroke takes up good positions. Yeah, I think it, it, it all comes down to possession, right? We didn't possess the ball very well against Palace because we kept turning over in wide areas. Whereas against Arsenal, I felt we possessed the ball quite well uh, because they gave us space in those wide areas. We weren't constantly having the ball turned over and sent back at us. And I think that influences it a lot. Um, and it, it, look, we're a, st- we're a statistically focused uh, media outlet. We're, we're going to say you can't you can't compare like two 90 minute stretches with each other. It's, it's too hard to do that. So I think a lot of it just comes down to that. It was two different games. Um, and the, the game yesterday really suited, um, really suited Phillips and he played well. And, um, but at the same time, I think if we had had to play Strauch, I don't think we would have really struggled that much. Um, it wouldn't have looked that different. I think that's just the that's just the play style of Arsenal, and um, thank goodness that they're not great these days. Um, is the way that I'm looking at it. We had a question from Matt Abbott who says, "Can we afford to have both Dallas and Alioski in our starting eleven? I love them both to bits, but I feel like I notice their relative weaknesses a lot today." Um, yeah, I, I mean, I echo, echo this. I think 
as we've talked about, it's probably because we were shaping up for a 3-3-1-3, which is, I think, the only reason Bielsa would consider having them both on the field at the same time. Um, but yeah, Darren, what do you make of that question? Um, I thought Alioski was decent, to be honest. I, I, I felt like he, 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 he gave the Alioski performance, which is that he runs around a lot. He kind of make, he does some infuriating things, but then works really hard to recover the position and, and very often does. Um, yeah, I, I I agree though. I I think having both of them in the in the team at the same time does leave us open to kind of losing the ball too often. Um and you know some of the decision making can be a bit brainless or a bit ponderous and I I much prefer, you know, one 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 or the other um and and neither of them in the midfield would be would be my <laughs> preference. It's interesting, isn't it? Because we, we we routinely talk about how central midfield and left back are our two weakest positions, um, and I think you know I'm I'm very much with you. I think I think Alioski's been fine in the last few games we've played him in. Um, I think Dallas has been okay. I don't think he was terrible yesterday. I think the frustration for me is that were we to have better personnel in those two spaces, we would be playing them. And so you are just we're just constantly playing uh, in a situation where we have slightly less good players than we would hope for uh, in that respect but again we we talked about this on in, in our channel before you just we couldn't make the sort of wholesale sweeping changes that we needed to over the summer so it's just a case of well you know we will live with this we'll have to live with this until next summer probably um so it's a tricky one i think um i think had we obviously if we had a better um, central midfield option I think we probably would have when we, we've seen for example Forshaw to to invoke the devil um, we've seen him play in that in that sort of right wing back position as a sort of a double pivot ish player alongside um, Calvin Phillips and obviously play as Nate as well and I think had he been available yesterday we probably would have gone with Dallas as the left wing back and um and Forshaw as the as the right wing back in that situation so uh, yeah some of it comes down to injury some of it comes down to you know you can't have we are not a team a club who can afford to have brilliant players in every position at this point um and until we move beyond that we're always going to be kind of stuck with it I don't think it's the worst in the world but I'm just always going to be a little bit grumpy about games when we're having to play Stuart Dallas um because I, I just want to see a I want to see a player who is a bona fide central midfielder playing in that in that position. Um, let's talk a little bit about the second half. Then we've covered, I think, a lot of the question about trying to unlock um, um, compact defenses. We did have some uh, questions about about that. I think we've covered the the difficulties of, of breaking down um, those defenses. But Brolin ate the pie, a regular regular questioner, um, and those questions are always. Uh, appreciated but uh, related this question to Rodrigo so Rodrigo was brought on too late in the match as soon as Pepe was sent off tactically the game of the shape of the game altered Arsenal fell back into a deep block encounter where possible and Rodrigo would have had longer to affect a greater a creative breakthrough discuss so um, how do we think that bringing on Rodrigo later in the game actually impacted it did you think we would maybe have benefited from having Rodrigo in from the off Tom? Not necessarily from the off, I think, but I do agree that if we'd have brought him on once um, Pepe had been sent off, we probably we didn't need probably it was Dallas in midfield at that point. Like we could have afforded to have a slightly more attacking option in Rodrigo. I don't think Rodrigo's that sort of player to unlock a defence. He's more because he's more of like a second striker. He's not like Pablo, who's um, sort of going to find the pass to to unlock them. So I think it was he obviously got a lot of shots when he came on and. We probably would have been slightly better um, with him on straight after the red card, but I don't think having him on from the start would have necessarily made much difference. Yeah, I feel like he's a space 
what is it, a space interpreter, yeah. a roundoiter. He's one of those players who just finds spaces and and makes the difference by by being in those situations. And I feel as though as soon as you go down to as soon as you go down to ten men, then that's that's pretty much um, we're losing his edge there. Um, but you mentioned there, obviously Dallas stays on the field. We bring Rodrigo on, and, and Ailing comes off, and Dallas goes to right back. Um, we had a couple of questions about the substitutions in the second half. So Jacob Stambridge said, "Why do you think Ailing came off rather than Dallas?" And Neil Motby followed that up with, "Yeah, and Pervader on over Costa." So, Darren, what did you make of the um, substitutions yesterday? Um, I, I thought Ailing was relatively poor actually, and I thought he, he he gave up a lot of possession. And there were there were times when that was due to Arsenal's press, and there were times when it was just to, due to poor execution. Um, I think he did improve slightly after the first twenty five, but I, I I don't think it was a game in which he really kind of covered himself in massive amounts of glory. And I thought I think probably um, I think Dallas is probably maybe a, a, a bit pacier, maybe a little bit more more kind of pure engine. So I think that was. Probably, probably kept him on in terms of kind of trying to uh, cover Arsenal's breaks. Um, in terms of Pervada over Costa, I was happy with that because I think Pervada uh, is is probably a player who um, is better at playing in tight spaces, beating a man and, and, and getting either a, a, a cross or, or a shot off. And I think I thought he did that well, you know, loads and lo- loads of times in the time that he was on. He re- I thought he had quite a big influence on the game and I'm not sure that Costa would have been the person to do that in the, in the situation that we found ourselves in. I think with Dallas, it was to maybe brought him on to sort of counter the threat of Saka. Um, I think it's like Saka's quite happy sort of travelling inside um, and maybe Dallas is just more comfortable defensively um, moving inside with Saka. I mean, I, I, Ailing's done that, but yeah, I've, I'd probably prefer Dallas in that situation. And I've got to agree with Darren on Pervader as well. I think Pervader's better, um, but not, not that much better than Costa, but I do like him sort of crossing or even shooting, whereas like Costa's uh, strengths are more in transition. And when they're down to 10 men, you don't really need that as much. Yeah, and I think that's why they brought Harrison off as well as a result of that. Um, whereas obviously someone like uh, Rafinha can come inside and cause problems. We saw him doing that a little bit in the game as well. Um, I, th- I thought the the subs were fine. Um, I think Bielsa after the match did make make a comment about uh, maybe making the wrong decision vis-a-vis Ailing and and Dallas. But I I think Ailing just sort of made a few mistakes here and there. So I think. It, it's very much of a muchness, isn't it? It wasn't. It, I don't think it was that in, impactful on the the game overall. Um, Joe Brennan says, "When Calvin went down, what went through your mind?" Um, and then also just a point: I could see both Click and Rodrigo constantly urging Koch to carry the ball out instead of looking to play it. Obviously, a product of Arsenal having ten men, but I thought it worked well. Pushed Click up higher as well. Um, we're going to talk about Koch. I think later because there's been a bit of criticism of him uh, but yeah when Calvin went down what, what went through your mind Darren? To be honest I was worried because it looked like it was one of those where he'd gone down with no contact and that usually signifies something quite quite serious or significant but um, yeah I was I was glad to see him come on um, I know we've talked a bit in the group chat haven't we about him you know perhaps being overplayed and overused and and, and coming back from injuries too quickly and and um, so yeah I, I, I was con- I was worried I was worried and I was I was pleased to see him get up and carry on and he seemed to carry on without any ill effects so Touchwood hopefully is absolutely fine. Yeah he did get mugged off just before that uh, run of play uh, with the ball. So I think it might have just been an uh, an element of that, you know, and you kind of think, well, if I go down a little bit here, maybe it lets me off the hook a little bit. But <laughs> yeah, obviously we don't want to see Calvin out. And as we've said, it is, I am a little bit worried about Calvin because it does feel as though we try and rush him back from injuries, which I guess is okay when he's however old he is. I can't remember how old he is right now. Um, but 
as time goes on you're going to get to a situation where you know your body you don't want to knacker out his body at a young age so that he starts getting recurring injuries when he's a little bit older but i'm sure the medical team are on that uh but yeah um i don't think there's anything more to say on that interesting question from mickey t says probably just me but i felt there was a lack of tempo for a lot of periods of tonight um obviously tonight being yesterday we looked far more dangerous when we did the unexpected and not just went out wide for another cross to be blocked off or headed back out. I mean, this is the, the, the traditional criticism of Leeds when we come up against a low block, right, which is um, we sometimes sort of fall into endlessly crossing the ball in to see if we can make something happen. I didn't think that really happened yesterday. I think we've, and, and, and as the question above that we mentioned before was that it does does feel as though we were a little bit more interesting, a little bit more creative in terms of our breakdown. Um what about the lack of tempo? How did how did did we feel as though there was a lack of tempo? I, I thought I largely thought we were fine. Um, I think when when we go when you could play a team who go down to ten men and then obviously they sit back. I think fans naturally want teams to up their tempo, um, and I think that the 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 team will have worked hard at not doing that. I think it's it's important that you play the tempo that is right for you as a team. Um, happened this happened a lot actually in um the championship i felt like all the time we would have people being like i think we need to play quicker we need to play faster if they're gonna if they're gonna drop back we need to try and gazump them and get into into dangerous areas before they have the time to sit back um but we've always talked about how bielsa likes to control possession rather than um to to play at a sort of rip roaring pace um we're quite aggressive off the ball but i don't think we're that aggressive on it um and I think it just sort of comes down there. I think the reason why that he doesn't want his team to speed up is because I think so much of what we do is rote learning. So much of it is running those um, those routes and routines over and over and over. That I think if you start trying to play quicker than you usually do in training, then you'll start to introduce problems and, and mistakes and errors and stuff. So I think the reason why Leeds can sometimes look a little bit ponderous is because they're trying to get the ball into the right spaces and then run through their movements and, and try and get the benefits there rather than just running headlong into into trouble a lot. So I don't know if anyone had any other thoughts on tempo. I think any team looks ponderous when they come up against a defence that was set up like Arsenal's because I think all you can really do is move the ball from side to side and try and find try and find gaps and and that's kind of the trap that we fell in. So I, I think there have been times in Bielsa's reign when in, in his first season when it was fair to say we need to move the ball quicker, but that was when Pontus Janssen was stood with his foot on the ball thirty yards from our own goal, not not really kind of moving the ball at all. That was when I would would have said it. But other than that, I I didn't notice any particular problems with our tempo last night. There were a couple of times when Dallas and, to some extent, Alioski could have been a bit faster. Like if you'd had, we've gone over this already, but if you had a slightly better, faster, faster thinking player um, in those positions. But yeah, in terms of the t- tempo generally as a team, it wasn't anything that I noticed to be particularly bad. Yeah, there's the famous Dallas doing a Dallas right at the end of the first half where Bamford made about three different runs <laughs> and in the and in the end uh, Dallas found the wrong one uh, and Bamford just sat on the turf as the as the final whistle well the final whistle for the half blew I think he hopped between offside like three times didn't he just kept going on and offside <laughs> yeah. until Dallas made his mind up and then just ended up on the floor <laughs> it was remarkable how many times he managed to get a different run in um, which is uh, again testament to to Pat but yeah, it was a classic everyone stand still while I decide what to do <laughs> moment, wasn't it? <laughs> Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. 
Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Right, let's talk about the defense. We had a, qu- a lot of questions about uh, Koch, so I've just included one from Wiggy who says, a lot of my friends having a go at Koch for poor distribution, I think unfairly. I feel Dallas in midfield is much more of a problem kept slowing down our counterattacks. What do you think? So, yeah, Tom, what was your take on Koch? There was a lot of arguments that he was trying to be too creative in his passing in, in the final 40 minutes. But what's your take? I mean, there were a couple of times that he hit those balls into Leno that were a bit annoying, but I'd rather he tried them than um, just passed it sideways to Cooper or always gave the ball out to Ailing or even back to uh, Melier. Um, I think I don't quite understand this need for any result that isn't a win to sort of have a scapegoat because I think Cock was probably... I think it was Yeah, I don't think he was that bad. And I think the only problem people have with him is that he's not Ben White. Because he actually created quite a few chances with... Um, uh, yesterday, I think it was I saw on Twitter. It was like he made three, S- three chances on the pitch or something. Yeah, so was, yeah. He's, he he did well, and I wonder if it was is a thing that Bielsa's asking him to do is to play that ball um, with the hope that something comes off. But see, I didn't really have a particular problem with him other than the occasional long ball that went straight to the goalkeeper. Well, I can, I kind of noticed that I didn't think Arsenal particularly pressed him much on the ball, so I think it was one of those cases where they were happy to let him have it and let him ha- happy to let him try something with with the kind of knowledge that, in all probability, what what he was going to try was speculative and wasn't really going to come off and to p- to pick all the to pick everyone else up. That was kind of how I saw it. But I had no, no problem with with Cock last night. I thought I thought he was good. I thought he was he was good in his kind of normal normal duties. I thought he was really good at picking up the. Um, the kind of second man defensive duties and backing backing Luke Ayling up and, and and sweeping up those positions. I thought he was he moved the ball well in in the first half. Yeah, I thought he was fine. I thought it was weird how um, Arsenal left um, Cock to be the free man and bring the four forward rather than Cooper, who you'd probably say is weaker than Cock. Um, I I don't know why they did that, but yeah, I just thought that was something that was quite unusual. I think probably he was the player who was told to try and get the ball further forward. Um, and I, I guess Aubameyang was just, he didn't look, especially after the uh, the red card, he didn't look as though he was particularly um, committed to high pressing. So um, it's probably just a, a case of that, I think. I don't think they were picking one over the other. I think it was just probably a team instruction on Leeds' part. But I think any game where... Robin Koch isn't doing having to do a lot of defending. Is it was going to be a good game for Robin Koch? Um, is what I would say. So and and just on watching the game back a few times afterwards, I actually think Phillips lost the ball just as much as Koch did doing speculative crosses in in the final forty minutes. And you know you can complain about Koch all you like if if you think that's a problem, but um, 
no one was making those claims about Phillips and I don't think that you know there was there was any difference between the two of them really and again it just comes down to um, creating chances in whatever way you can and it will be a team instruction he won't have been doing that without having been told um, to do that and as Joe Brennan mentioned before you know Click and Rodrigo were urging him to carry the ball forward as well. It makes a big difference if you can get another centre back involved in the build-up play as well. Um, it means you've got a player over in 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 the attacking um, um, third. So um, the other thing I would say is that as L, as Jamie Kemp of LUFC blog mentioned, um, one of the 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 Rodrigo chance which hit the crossbar um, was a pass from Koch as well. So he was still he was still being creative, um, even though some of them weren't coming off. And that's just what happens in the final third when you are trying to do maybe more risky um, moves, then you are going to end up losing the ball a little bit more as well. Yeah, let's not pretend Ben White was an assist machine if that's who we're comparing yeah. Koch to. Yeah, I mean Ben White was great, but again, I, I don't ever, I don't ever see him in those situations against packs defenses really unlocking them um, in any way either. So. Um, yeah, another question from Wiggy, which will allow um, Darren to talk about his favourite topic. But also, how good was that one save by Melier, especially given your excellent pod on goalkeepers that I listened to earlier on the day? Thank you for mentioning that, Wiggy. If you do want to listen to our Patreon bonus episode with John Harrison on goalkeepers, particularly on Melier, then do head over to our Patreon. Um, Melier didn't really have anything else to do all evening, says Wiggy. Uh, Darren, how good was that save? It was very, very, very very good. Um, no, I thought I thought in terms of you know the recovery was one thing, which obviously is because he's kind of beaten really by by Saka, and and he manages to kind of um, you know use great footwork and 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 a great spring to kind of keep the final shot out. But um, I've se- I've seen some kind of mixed views really on on whether his initial decision to come out and 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 press Saka at the, the point that he did, whether that was the the correct decision, and I really thought it was because he really forced. Um, forced him to make a decision and and w- in forcing him to make a decision before he really wanted to he managed to push him really quite wide and much much uh, further wide than was optimal and that that kind of gave Melier time to to kind of try and get his his smother dive in and also gave um the defense time to get in behind him in case that he was beaten I just thought it was a really excellent piece of goalkeeping all round um but not really surprising because you know as you I think it's pretty well known what I think of uh, of Melier. <laughs> yeah, I'm as I, as I always say, I've become a bit of a cliche. I don't really talk about goalkeeping, um, but I don't know. I'm I'm of the opinion that had Saka taken the shot first time rather than trying to go around Melier, it might have caused a little bit of a problem. A little bit like uh, the first goal that Spurs scored against uh, Wall, uh, City, sorry, at the weekend where. Um, Son is quite far out, but just sort of plays the ball underneath him, rolls it in. I wondered if that that might have been the better approach for Saka, in which case it would have looked worse for Melier. But yeah, no no complaints from me about Melier. I'm uh, fully on board the that bang, bandwagon, and I look forward to us being proven right and seeing him start for France and for who knows who who will he be playing for by then? Paris Saint Germain or something? Um, but hopefully not in, until a long, long time into the future. <laughs> <laughs> Darren's crying now <laughs> uh, let's move on to talk about the attacking side of the game we had lots of people talking about Cliff so H40 says talk about Cliff for an hour he's been doing this for three seasons straight probably the most consistent Leeds player I've seen in the last 20 years and one of the most interesting if he'd taken the two chances he missed it would have been a masterclass uh, Barney says can we just talk about how good Cliff is this season he's been immense looks the complete Premier League midfielder for me uh, Tom how good is, is Mateus Cliff? probably along with Bamford he's the player that's stepped up uh, most comfortably to the level of the Premier League this season. Um, I think if he'd have scored 
last night we'd been talking about one of the maybe one of the best performances by a Leeds player in recent history. To be honest, I thought I had a quick look on um, FB Ref and he he made seven shot creating actions, which was like more easily the most on the pitch. Um, I thought he linked up with Phillips really well, but it is worrying that if he keeps playing this well, that I do think he he's good enough to step up again and go to a, not probably not a top Paris six. Saint-Germain. Like, <laughs> Paris Saint Germain, yeah, Real Madrid, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, totally agreed. Um, he's an interesting player, isn't he, Clear? Because he does go be beneath the radar a little bit, perhaps, uh, because he does a lot of sort of medial uh, role stuff. So he's doing a lot of the the build up uh, play. Yesterday, as you mentioned, two chances that both fell onto his left foot. Um, which was a bit unfortunate. It wasn't there, there were decent chances, I think, with his weaker foot. But um, yeah, again, even just even against um, Palace, the, the the previous match uh, day, he was the player who was causing all of the chances to be created. He was the one who set up Bamford for the goal, and then the goal that wasn't. Um, he's he just he makes a big difference. He's definitely a spark that that we need. And um, with without Rodrigo playing and without. Hernandez playing at the form that we expect of Hernandez. Um, Click is definitely our most creative, um, important creative hub, I think. Darren, what do you want to say about Click? Nothing that hasn't been said already. I thought I thought he was really excellent. Um, he really knits the whole team together, doesn't he? He kind of he makes everything else work around him. I think, and um, yeah, I think he's the one player who I kind of dread the the day when he's not able to play because of an injury, um, which is, is going to happen eventually. Um, because I, I don't think there's anyone that can naturally do the same role in the same way that that he does. Albeit, I think we've got players who can play play the role differently. We had quite a few questions about various combinations of wide players, uh, which I think will probably continue rumbling on through the season because we probably have our better players in those. Well, we have a we have our best depth in those positions, I'll say. So um, Liam Broxham says, "How did Rafinha's stats match up against Costa's usual numbers?" Neb says, "Was Paveda the right option for Harrison? Why not Costa? I feel Paveda often lacks experience and doesn't always make the right decisions, often losing possession." Anthony Lockton said, "Do you think we saw enough of from Rafinha to warrant a regular spot in the starting lineup? Would that be harsh on Costa?" I did have a look on FB Ref. Um, for to to just get a, a sort of sense of some of the stats that that we can talk about, and um, what I would say is that Jack Harrison is hands and away the best creative player and uh, we have in a wide area according to the stats this season. Um, so he's uh, we talked about shot creating actions. He's up there at um, four point two three uh, shot creating actions per game. Now, obviously, that's partly because we angle him as an outball um and we we sort of try and get him one-on-one with with um, fullbacks and so i do think that we we, we he probably slightly inflate his his shot creating actions from there um after that let's talk about uh, the other players so um shot creative actions i've got pablo hernandez 3.53 but obviously really small sample size um Rafinha, I always get confused because his name comes up as Rafael Diaz Beloli, um, but he's got uh, again small sample size, two point nine four shot creating actions, and then Halder Costa is down at two point three two shot creating actions per per ninety. So you know it's sort of comparative. Pervaders two point five. So um, in terms of shot creating actions, there there 
all pretty much below Jack Harrison in that regard. And I, I, I suspect that is partly because um, they, they have played in, well, Harrison plays on that left-hand side, which is where we're trying to get the ball through in particular. Um, in terms of goal-creating actions, um, yeah, again, Harrison is, uh, again, way ahead of the, the other two, uh, the other three, sorry. Um, so Costa is down at 0.29 goal-creating actions per 90. And then the other two haven't created a goal yet, so they're not on that list. So um, I think it's I think it's too early to really say. I think Rafinha, I think Rafinha is being hyped a bit because of the cost that he, he has. I think he looks very raw, looks very good, looks like he could be an exciting player. But I think it's too early to say, one, that he's going to be better than the others. Um, and two, that he's, um, you know, that, that Costa's had it. I think Costa's fine. He had a good performance today for the under-23s. I think you just have to look at it as we've got a really good depth in that area and we can bring on players to change thing up in, things up in that area. I have no problem with um, Harrison being brought off for any of the other two who weren't on the bench, who weren't on the field yesterday. I have no problem with Rafinha starting. I have no problem with him coming off the bench. So I think it's one of those ones where you just have to enjoy the fact that we have quite a nice depth in, in that position. But I suppose the question for me would be if you had to get rid of one of them or which one, if you were going to replace one of them, which is maybe a little bit too much of a forward thinking question, which one would you, would you move on? Um, because I think that gives a sense of, of, of the ordering of them. But how would you answer that question, Darren? If you had to, if you were given the chance to bring in a world-class wide player, which one of the, of those four are you going to drop into, well, move on to another team? Mm. I, God, it's a horrible question, isn't uh, it? That's a horrible question. I think I think it's hard to say because I think I haven't seen enough of Rafinha yet, and I think I, I think both he and and Perveda are very raw. So I think I think they're I think they've got incredible potential, and I was really impressed with Rafinha last night. Not not necessarily with his work in and around the box because I think he was a bit wild at certain areas, but I think in build-up play he was superb. I thought his movement was really good, and I thought the the, the way that he angles his passes and the kind of kind of passes that he looks for are really quite exciting. Um, I think I think it's hard to say. I, I can't answer that. I really can't <laughs> answer. That. Don't make me answer. That. I I'm, I think I'm going to have to say Costa. I think I'm going to have to say Costa would would be the one that I that I'd move on um purely because I think that in the in the sort of games where we struggle um he doesn't make enough of an impact in those sort of games because he's not as good in tight spaces and it's for no other reason than that yeah and I think he's probably I mean with Pervedi you sort of think this guy could as he develops become one of the one of the really great wingers um but I think for me Costa may be a little bit weaker defensively as well which is why I would keep Harrison in because Harrison's really important in games where we need to have that coverage as well how would you answer the question Tom yeah, I was going to say, um, actually, I've, I don't have a clue what I was going to say, but yeah, you have you convinced me that Costa um, probably was the one I move, move on. I think I haven't seen enough of Rafinha to say that he's got that ability to dribble like Costa has. Um, I think he might do in time, but I think with, with Rafinha, I'd quite, I just want him to say, I'd get a run of just five games. Uh, and I think eventually then we could be saying he's definitely the number one and then who we're getting rid of out of the other three more than anything. I also I'm struggling to gauge Pervader's potential. Um, to be honest, I, again, it's probably because I just we haven't seen enough of him. Um, and yeah, Harrison is the one that does the work defensively, and Costa seems to have lost that um, that ability to sort of cut in and shoot that he kind of he had at Wolves. Uh, whereas Rafinha's got that. So yeah, I think Costa. And it pains me to say it because I do like Costa, but I think he'd be the one I'd let go. 
Yeah, I'm. I think I feel like I'm a little bit biased against Pervader because he's so small, and I think that's unfair because I don't think your size necessarily matters that much. And if, I, I guess I just kind of feel as though in a Bielsa team where you have to be hyper pressing, I just kind of feel as though he loses a little bit of his upside from that. But um, again, I think it's a it's a very academic question this because if we were to bring in someone who is better, we we do have a great depth there so I guess you make your decision and then uh, we would have a fantastic set of players to fill up those spaces as well anyway after that so it's it is a tricky question um moving into the central areas then uh, Callum Archibald says should Leeds decide to go for it and bring in an eight how will this affect the system so sorry I'll ask that again should Leeds decide to go for it and bring in an eight how will this affect the system the current system accommodates both Bamford and Rodrigo so would we lose one of them or would we sacrifice a wide player and push Rodrigo into the half space on the right um yeah thoughts on this Tom I think if we did you wouldn't see click dropping out so it'd probably be Rodrigo that would drop be dropping out I think because I don't I think I'd prefer the uh, someone else on the right over Rodrigo, whoever like we've just mentioned. Um, so yeah, I don't. I think we keep the system the same and yeah, um, have a move Rodrigo up front or uh, drop him to the bench. I think the intention is that 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 Rodrigo will be the starting player in that eight slot. So I think whoever it, whoever it was would have to work very hard to kind of move him out of the team. Albeit he didn't start yesterday, which makes me sound a bit silly. But but I think I think that is the intention that he he will be the the player that plays in the midfield with with Click because just because of how good he is at manipulating space, um and and you know kind of moving moving players around. It's an interesting question, isn't it? Because if we are assuming that we intended to play sort of 3-3-1-3 three, three, three yesterday, then it suggests that Click is seen as the, the prime number eight or whatever in that system. And then Rodrigo behind him and then whoever would come in would be that third slot. Um, so I suppose that's the tricky thing, right, it's about bringing an eight in, is that if you do, and this is perhaps why Rodrigo de Paul never happened, is that if you bring in a number eight and you're intending to play Rodrigo at number eight, then you have you have a genuine squad crisis because probably your three best-ish ballers are, in the, are struggling for the same or competing for the same two spots. So um, I, I, I suspect that is where the, the issue would come uh, here. Uh, we had lots of other questions, but the time is moving on. But thank you so much for the questions. There was a comment that was sent in actually to our Twitter account today saying uh, just how good the questions that we get are. And uh, I would echo that we are. Uh, it, it is our pleasure to be able to answer these questions because they're so well asked. So thank you for anyone that sent them in. Sorry if we haven't been able to get around to um, talking about uh, your question in this episode. We do, however, have to talk about positives, though. Um, it was good, I think, to focus on the positives. So we usually do three each, but we can. I feel like we've been scraping the barrel in the last few games. There's only so much you can do, isn't there, with uh, four lo- four one losses? But uh, I think a pretty good result. Uh, well, certainly a good performance for us yesterday, uh, and a result that we would have taken, I think, before the game or before the season. Um, so, guys, what are the positives that you would take from from the game? I'll start with you, Darren. Um, I thought Bamford played really well, and I know we haven't spoken about him during the podcast, but I thought he was truly excellent. Um, I th- I th- I'm excited by Rafinha, as 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 you may have noticed earlier. I think I think he's he's going to be a truly exciting player. And um, finally, I can't let it go because Melier's save at the end and there's <laughs> a point, so I think he's going to have to be my my other positive. How about you, Tom? Yeah, so I had those three scribbled down in front of me as well. Um, the other two that I've got are Click because I thought he was unbelievable yesterday, 
Um, I have, haven't got two more, but the last one I've got is um, I'm going to go with Liam Cooper and the, um, the iPad before the game. Because I think, <laughs> yeah. I know it's a bit, I don't know, it's one of those, but it, if you compare the club just to where they were, uh, even like five years ago, there's no way we'd be doing stuff like that. And he's actually, he makes you sort of proud to be sort of a fan of the club um, compared to some of the shit shows we've seen in the past. So yeah, I'm going to have that as my other positive. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to add any to, to those because I think we've got a good list there. So plenty of positives to take away. And um, yeah, it's good to uh, look forward to what will come from here on in. So looking forwards, uh, I've got one more question uh, that I sort of didn't really, couldn't really fit in any of the other sections, but I think is maybe a good one to, to end on. Um, Neil Harding says, we hear a lot about burnout, but with fewer matches in the Prem, are the players having to work harder than in the champ or championship? If not, surely it's just a media agenda item. What do the stats tell us? Now, I will say stats-wise, it's basically impossible for us to get hold of um, any uh, running data about the teams because the team, well, one, it's very, very hard to collect that. And um, obviously you see all the Leeds players wearing vests. That's what they're doing with, with that. It's not just medical data, but they're also me- me- measuring the running stats. Um, so we don't have any access to that. But what we can say is that based on what Sky TV said was the Leeds were running a lot further than uh, other teams. I think, was it Bamford who mentioned that Leeds are running like 9K? They ran 9K more than, I can't remember who it was, one of the teams we've played so far, uh, which is the equivalent of having an extra player on the pitch in terms of running. So Leeds are putting putting the time in. What I would say is that we are... Um, playing fewer games than the top six, right? Because they're playing in Europe as well. I think the top six gen, 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 genuinely have a problem with with um, fitness issues because they're playing so regularly. But we're, we're, I, I feel pretty relaxed about us in terms of... like have, After having done post-lockdown at the end of the championship where we're playing every three days... Um, I felt I feel like if we can go through that, then we can go through playing every week in the in the, in the champ in the Premier League. So, how how do we feel about the the burnout narrative? I mean, I've written I'm I've written in various places about how most of it is just a sort of media agenda item. But how do we feel about the burnout um, issue going forward? We'll start with you, Tom. We've seen no proof that it's going to happen uh, over two seasons post lockdown. We've got less games, um, so I'd get it. it's just one of those media things that. I don't know where it's come from, but it just won't go away, and I'm, I'm not worried about it whatsoever. I suspect that we we may see some evidence of something that looks like burnout or or a build up of injuries, and p- the press will will accredit that to Bielsa's methods, and I will accredit it to bullshit international football being played in a se- in an already condensed and compressed season. There's clearly something going on in terms of trying to. I think for me it comes down to a lack of summer break more than anything, right? Not allowing players' bodies to rest and then obviously all of these periodizations and scheduling that they use to condition the players' fitness to um, to, to sort of the cusp of what is acceptable, um, at least in terms of the science. And as a result of that, that we've, we're, we're going to see these sorts of things coming on. I don't think, I think we'll be fine because I think part of the reason why we, well, part of the one of the ramifications of approaching the game the way that Bielsa does is that he is hyper aware of the um, the stresses and strains that are on that he puts on his players, and so his medical team um, are always carefully monitoring that. Maybe in a way that uh, other medical teams probably don't have to. So uh, I think that you know, if anything, this probably suits Leeds in terms of the fact that they are aware of you, you know being. Uh, open to the risk of burnout in a way that a lot of teams are experiencing it this season themselves so I think we should be fine too next on the agenda is Everton on Saturday Um, we will be back on 
I guess Wednesday with with a preview podcast about that. I'm about to actually interview um, our Everton guest, so we will have um, a conversation about how Everton is setting up. It should be an interesting game, I think. If you do like our content and you want to see more of it, then you can head over to our Patreon channel. Patreon is a, a platform that allows us to give bonus material to subscribers who want to get a little bit more of, of the content that we offer. We have lots of things over there. I will have at some point a video analysis of the game at the weekend uh, on there. And if you do uh, want to go over there and check it out, it's uh, www.patreon.com forward slash all stats, aren't we? Three people who've done that recently are Porig Murphy, Elliot Thackeray and Lewis Meyer. So thank you guys for, for joining us. And we have arrived at the end of the podcast. So all that remains for me to do is say thank you to Darren. Thank you. And thank you to Joe. To Joe. <laughs> Oops. Thank you to Tom. <laughs> Thank you very much. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And we'll be back in a few days. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.